Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for friends of the Hebrew Bible everywhere. I'm Rosie Chanthal, a Louisville fellow at Columbia Theological Seminary in Hebrew Bible and a PhD candidate in Hebrew Bible at Emory University. And I'm Paul Esser, a PhD student in Hebrew Bible at Yale University. Our co-hosts, Rachel Wren and Tim McMinch, are off this week. So Rosie, that puts you on the mic on the second Sunday after Epiphany, January 14, 2024. Can you believe it? I know. <laughs> and we are looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3, the calling of the prophets and God. We're just a few weeks into the new liturgical year, year B. Uh, did you want to say something about the RCL's shift to year B? You know me, Paul. I always want to yeah. address the kind of liturgical moment. But um, yeah, I, I always think it's helpful to step back for a moment and take a look at the larger arrangement of the liturgical readings mm-hmm. and how each liturgical year, A, B, and C, bear their own distinct shape. And the three-year lectionary cycle focuses on different sections of scripture each year. So we've just gone through year A, and we had a special focus in that year in reading through the Gospel of Matthew. In year B, Christian preachers were primarily reading through the Gospel of Mark with a whole lot of the Gospel of John thrown in. And in year C, we're focused on the Gospel of Luke. Now, most Christian denominations that use the Revised Common Lectionary are familiar with this cycle of readings. But here at First Reading, we Mm -hmm. aim to equip our preachers with the know-how and inspiration to draw upon the Old Testament First Readings. And those have also been chosen with great care through the liturgical year. So in year A, we've spoken about this before, we had a special focus on Genesis and Exodus. So the creation accounts, the stories of the earliest families, and the Mosaic Covenant got the highlight in those passages. But Mm -hmm. here we are in year B, our current cycle, And the readings this year are offering a special focus on the Davidic covenant, the stories Mm -hmm. of the monarchy, and also on wisdom literature. So Mm. in our semi-continuous readings in year B, we have readings from the books of Samuel, Kings, Proverbs, and Job. And particularly exciting in year B, we have readings from Ruth and Esther. So things to look forward to in the year. Uh, This week, our first reading on the second Sunday after Epiphany takes us right into this arc of the monarchy, the establishment of the monarchy and the Davidic covenant Mm -hmm. uh, with this wonderful story of the calling of Samuel. Samuel is, of course, the prophet who will eventually anoint Saul and then David, the first kings of Israel. Uh, A lot of fun things coming up uh, in the liturgical year. And I'm giving a big shout out to all of my uh, liturgical preachers out there. We have a lot of tips that we would be giving you. Um, coming forward. So what do you think about uh, First Samuel? Yeah. So <laughs> as always, right, we, we kind of back up and offer a little bit of the literary and historical context for the story. Yes. So we're starting kind of, we, the book of Samuel's already begun, right? So we're in chapter three. And the story of Samuel begins during the period of the judges, right? So we got to take you back a minute before we can bring you forward. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the period of the confederacy of the Israelite tribes. Uh, And if you can recall the stories of the book of Judges, then you will remember the instability and violence of this period. So the book of Judges ends with the horrific account of the rape and murder of the Levite's wife and an all-out intertribal war that nearly wipes out the entire tribe of Benjamin. Mm. Uh, But eventually, the book ends with the kidnapping of hundreds of young girls at Shiloh at the festival 
in order to give the wives uh, to the remaining men of the tribe who are left alive. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a brutal set of stories at the end of Judges. And the book ends with this telling line, uh, quote, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone yeah. did what was right in their eyes. Yeah. So this terrible line provides a bridge, though, for the books of Samuel. Uh, mm -hmm. Samuel, who will serve Israel as judge, as priest, as prophet, and finally as a kingmaker, someone who will establish the monarchy for Israel. That's right. Um, but his story begins maybe a little bit surprisingly and begins humbly. Yeah, I think of Judges as uh, a classic embodiment of lawlessness, right? And the, the sort of violence that you paint here um, and the, the terror, you know. Uh, Judges 19 always like intrigues me a lot. It's full of mess. Um, and I, sometimes I, you know, I think about it a lot and I, and I ask myself, why don't we read passages like this um, in church as often? And why does it not feature in our Bible study discussions and things like that? Uh, because I think it's important and it tells us something about the overall design and structure of the Bible. But, you know, thankfully it doesn't end there. We are moving on to a new generation where there is finally going to be a king at some point and we have a prophet Samuel. So, yeah, keep us going. Uh, yeah. Right. So, um, like I said, the book of Samuel starts maybe a little bit unusually since it is, as you've, as you've already noted, a book that begins with uh, the start of the monarchy and with kingship. Yeah. And so we're talking right. about different ways of holding power. How do we govern this newly formed nation as it finds its way in this promised land, right? So yes. uh, as we've talked about, Judges depicts a really um, an anarchic picture. So this is mm -hmm. not um, romantic in any way. And then Samuel begins uh, with the story of a powerless woman, right? This is the story of Hannah. It opens with, she is a woman who cannot conceive a child. And although her husband, Elkanah, is devoted to her, loves her deeply, um, she's really suffering because she's being bullied by a, a rival wife. And mm -hmm. she knows uh, that her inadequacy, her inability to, to conceive, it's just not something she can get over. So yeah. year after year, she goes to worship at the temple in Shiloh. Um, but this particular year, as we begin the story of Samuel, is is difficult. Yep. And she is found in the text, pouring at her heart before the Lord, weeping and praying silently. Yeah. She promises in the in the beginning of Samuel that if she can just have a son, she will dedicate him and his life to the Lord's service. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, the priest Eli, who we will encounter again in chapter three in our reading today, mm -hmm. uh, mistakes Hannah for a drunk. And he insults her. Fortunately, she stands up for herself and she says, uh, you know, I am, I am praying. I'm not a drunk. Um, and a year later, God has amazingly answered her prayer. Mm -hmm. And as soon as her miraculously born son, Samuel, is weaned at this very young age, three or four years probably, uh, she takes Samuel to the house of the Lord, where he is raised by this mm -hmm. same priest, Eli, um, to serve in the house of the, of the Lord. Now, Hannah's extraordinary song of praise in Samuel chapter 2 becomes the foundation for songs that we celebrate, we just celebrated in Advent and yeah. in Christmas, right? So yeah. the Magnificat of Mary, right. that incredible song of praise in Luke chapter 2, in which she celebrates the birth of the Messiah, uh, the one that she is carrying within her womb, it's based on the song of Hannah. Uh, That's right. 
So we're just reminding folks, right? I mean, these are deep roots that we're kind of going back into. And as we think about the Davidic covenant and its connection to the Messiah, to Jesus. Yeah. So the story of Samuel, a man who is priest and judge and uh, prophet to Israel, Mm -hmm. uh, who will eventually help to establish the monarchy through Saul and David. This is how his story begins. Small and humble and through a woman who gets an answer to her deepest prayer. Wow. That's like Samuel is like the miracle child in this case. And it's it's truly fascinating the way infertility is a big feature and a theme surrounding, you know, almost every great birth in the Bible. Like Genesis 18, the the, the story of Isaac, Isaac, right? And then, you know, Sarah and Hagar, you know, the sort of uh, uh, competition and rivalry between them because of a child. Um, and the story of Elizabeth and John the Baptist and, you know, all these like great births of great people actually in the Bible. It's all surrounded by, you know, these sort of similar themes. And I agree with you. I think it's like a story of humble beginnings. It's a st- story of small beginnings. And it's a story of women too, right? I'm so glad you're, yeah, because the story of infertility is not one that ends here, right? I mean, this is an ongoing struggle for, for many women. And to I think to be able to see that Hannah um, also struggles with it and is also heard by God. And in this case, answered with a child, right? That's not always the case today, but um, to acknowledge that and to be able to talk about that as the beginning of what will become a story about uh, about power and about how, um, Indeed, yeah. how it's going to be. I mean, to me, there's a deep irony that the, and I think a deliberate irony in that we're starting the story this way. I agree. I agree. I agree. So um, maybe we could just kind of go now into the passage, right? So now our reading is from First Samuel chapter 3, and the reading begins in this telling way. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. And that is a heartbreaking line that maybe tells us a lot about this period. Now we've just been talking about the period of the judges, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we're still in. And this sense of darkness, physical and spiritual darkness of a quietness from God um, right. that gets extended through this passage, right? Uh, That's right? We are told next that the priest Eli's vision, his physical vision is fading. He cannot see well anymore. Um, like we said, now physical and spiritual kind of darkness and inability mm-hmm. to be able to discern. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already seen that this priest was unable to tell the difference between a muttering drunk and yeah. Hannah's fervent prayerfulness at the temple. So um, this darkness is a metaphor then for the whole nation. Uh, Mm -hmm. If the priest cannot see, cannot spiritually discern, his sons are even called scoundrels by the narrator just earlier. They're not fit to lead the nation spiritually. Um, And so we are kind of already in the beginning of this chapter getting a sense of uh, an opening possibly uh, with this boy, Samuel. Yeah, um, And here's where I want to kind of point out now, you so rarely get to see a young person who is the star of a biblical narrative. Yes. Um, and if I could invite pastors to just take note, you youth pastors, you children's pastors, That's right. pastors who just want to raise up those segments of your congregation, 1 Samuel 3 offers such rich possibilities for affirming the yeah. unique prophetic potential of your children and youth. Yes. Uh, uh, and like here, we get this extended look at Samuel as a youth, uh, as a yeah. boy, and we get to celebrate his listening ear, the tenderness of God's patient calling. 
I mean, how often do we get to yeah. see reading in our sacred context where the blessing and gentle wisdom of a young person gets lifted up in this way? And Paul, I know that you have served <laughs> as a youth minister in your uh, not so distant past. So That's I right, hope, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. What do you, what do you think this, of that? Is, will you back me up on this? I, I certainly will back you up. It's very easy to read the Hebrew Bible <laughs> as a child, a, a boy, girl, and not feel like you are in any of the categories of people that God calls and God uses and mm. God works through, right? Because, you know, God is anointing all these priests and Levites and all these adults and all these warriors and all these like great men for the most part, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> and so... You don't see yourself. But here in Samuel, we see a boy who hears the voice of God, right? At a time where prophecy is rare. Right. Right. This it, is what's what, so... What yeah. else? Like, it's so evocative. Listeners, I hope you take this word from Paul and myself. Take the, take the chance when you can to direct our attention to mm -hmm. the voice of this young person and the ear of mm -hmm. this young person that is attuned to the voice of God. But Indeed. he needs guidance, right? So. Um, yeah. If I could direct us back into the passage. So verse three gives us this kind of note of hope in the midst of the fact that that vision is not widespread at, at mm -hmm. this point in time. So verse three reads, the lamp of God had not gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was housed. That's right. So that gives us an image here that tells us that it's still literally dark outside. Uh, it's not light yet. It's not yet morning. The lamp in the temple is burning. And Samuel hears his name being called, right? We probably have seen this passage or heard this passage if you're a Christian, you know, over and over again. But uh, the voice comes and it says, Samuel, Samuel. And you can picture him. He sits up and immediately says, here I am, and quickly runs to Eli's bedside. Um, yeah. But Eli says, and he's confused, he says, go back to bed. I, I didn't call you, right? Again, though, Samuel hears his name being called, and this time the narrator in verse 7 explains that That's Samuel right. didn't know the Lord's voice. Yeah. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Yeah. And that is telling, too, right? So Samuel had been raised in the house of the Lord by the priest Eli since he was very young. Yeah. And yet the text tells us that he didn't know the Lord's voice. Yeah. So yeah. It, it struck me. Uh, just reading mm -hmm. that as I was preparing for our episode today, and I don't know about you, Paul, but that line convicted me because I, I asked myself how many of us have been raised in the church and yeah. yet do not know the Lord's voice, have never, yeah. have never heard our voice being called, have never experienced that sense of being addressed by God. How many of us are being addressed by the Lord this very moment, but Indeed. do not know it? Yeah, or, or even are not aware or cannot even recognize the voice of God. And, you know, close related to that is the, the fact that, like, when others express their hearing of God, it, it's, it feels weird to us because of our own, you know, lack of familiarity with the way God calls people. And I think this passage does speak to some of that, uh, the way I hear it. Yeah, and I think, I think you're pointing to the yearning, too, <clears throat> to be addressed by God, the yearning mm -hmm. to hear from God. The yearning to know that God knows your name uh, oh, yeah. and calls to you constantly. So, I mean, uh, to me, this is, a, this is a, such a, uh, a beautiful passage to kind of awake our congregations to, because yeah. the good news is that God does not give up, right? So, yeah. I mean, he's called Samuel in this passage now twice. Samuel mm -hmm. doesn't understand, so he goes to Eli, 
And Eli, fortunately, at this point, understands what's happening and gives Samuel the advice he needs. So now this third time, he says, go back to your bed, Samuel. And this time say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Yeah. And I'm touched by that because now when God calls, Samuel is ready, right? Uh, he, He recognizes now that it's not Eli who's calling, it is God. And he invites God to speak. Yeah. And God waits until he's invited, and then God does speak. Yep. And to me, there is a gentle and poignant humor here uh, when the young Samuel, you know, he hears his name called three times, but there is Eli's bittersweet realization that the torch has passed um, oh, in that yeah. third time, right, where he finally yes. realizes uh, God is, has, is not addressing me, but is addressing Samuel. Through Samuel now, uh, the word will become active again. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the hope is that is that yes, uh, God is speaking, God is coming, God is active. But to me, the kind of note of rebuke is that it's not coming to the generation of religious elders that Eli represents. Mm, yeah, not to his sons who had been raised to be the next generation of religious leaders, but to yeah. this, the yeah. youngest, to the humble son of Hannah, who doesn't know much about theology or liturgy or worship. He's just a kid. But yeah. he is open enough to hear and speak the word of God to those who are in charge of his yeah. spiritual care. That's right. <laughs> that, that's the, the irony between uh, the way you describe God literally bypassing mm-hmm. the, the elders and the leaders of the church and going to the, this unsuspecting young boy. It's just like. You know, so heartbreaking uh, for for Eli. It's like God is going to do a new thing, but He's not going to do it through me. It's going to do it through this boy of all people. You know, no. <laughs> what a like. I mean, but to me, what a hopeful note, but also what a realistic note. I think what um, a realistic note. Yeah. Paul and I were talking right before we started recording, and I was just reflecting on turning in my final grades for this semester. <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm just, I'm still learning how to become a teacher of the Old Testament in seminary. And to me, it was uh, just a reminder that um, the students I'm teaching, the congregations that you're preaching to, through them comes the word of God. And it's just, just a, to me, a, a poignant reminder of our place in training and raising up these voices and then eventually being addressed by yeah. these voices, you know, in, in ways that are authoritative yeah. um, and in ways I, I have no choice but to heed, which is exactly what Eli must do. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you indeed. So perhaps we could move to uh, pitfalls and preaching tips, and right? Some preaching uh, tips, yeah. Those of mm-hmm. you that have held on to this moment. So I, and you too, Paul, probably have heard this story preached many times. So many times. Sunday school or whether um, from the pulpit in an adult congregation. And, and there's good reason for this, right? So Samuel's calling story is, it's so winsome. It's so attractive. It's so beautiful, But my warning here, my pitfall, is to not treat it like some kind of a naive story about a child. Uh, Yeah. That's that's where I see this. For me, uh, and and this is the warning here, this reads as a deep rebuke of institutional religious leadership. Uh, And Right? So you're snapping your finger? I'm snapping my fingers. I feel it. (laughs) I feel it. The fact that this child is the only one qualified to hear from God and lead the chosen people of God that is deeply humbling as I think about my own current role as a theological teacher at a seminary, and I yeah. hope it causes you, dear pastor, to consider your own path carefully. 
<laughs> Indeed, yeah. Yeah, so the pit bull is here. To whom are we listening? Yeah. Who is that humble, small voice that is speaking to you that yeah. you have been tempted perhaps to dismiss as too young, too yeah. inexperienced, too inconsequential? And I'm preaching to myself as I say this. Yeah. Uh, Amen, um, sister. <laughs> so here, yeah, that's that's both my pitfall and my angle, right? The gospel for this Sunday, if I can just, you know, as I often do, take the veer Go for that. it, Rosie, go for it. <laughs> the, the gospel for this Sunday is taken from John, the gospel of John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. Yeah. And this is the calling of Philip, who then goes on to call his friend Nathaniel. And I hope you can hear the liturgical arrangement here so that you can hear the sense of call, both in the Old Testament and in the New Right. And here, this is uh, Philip who tells his friend Nathaniel, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, Nathaniel is skeptical, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit like like Eli, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right. What is, That's what, what Nathaniel's response is. Yes. What a statement. <laughs> right. <laughs> tells us a lot about Nathaniel. But yet, like Eli, Nathaniel quickly comes to realize that he was wrong. When Jesus yeah. tells him that he saw him, he saw Nathaniel underneath the fig tree. And that startles Nathaniel so much that he immediately responds, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Yeah. That's what Nathaniel says with amazement. Like Eli and Samuel, like Philip and Nathaniel, mm -hmm. I pray that we may continue to urge each other to heed our calls. Mm -hmm. Now, often, and I, this is what I hear through the uh, conversation of these texts, the call is to simply listen. And I think for pastors, for religious professionals, like <clears throat> professors of the Bible, uh, it is often hard for us to keep silent. Yeah. Uh, we are used to standing in front. We are used to giving the answers, the right answers, yeah. providing leadership, providing counsel. Yeah. Uh, but for me, uh, these lectionary readings encourage me to remember that God is always calling. Yeah. Uh, always call, always calling our names. And sometimes all we need to do is get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. And advise our, you know, our congregations, our people to speak, yeah. Lord, your servants are listening. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's where I offer both my pitfall, my angle, and then just also an affirmation of the conversation that these readings can draw for us. Is yeah. that by putting putting the first reading and the gospel reading together, you know, we we get this kind of chorus of God's call and and the people's response, right? And that we call That's one right. another as Philip calls Nathaniel, and we keep calling, yeah. uh, you know, and we keep responding with amazement to, That's oh my right. God, you are God, you yeah. you are, and I I didn't I didn't know it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's the 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 invitation to listen is just so powerful, you know. Because it is like, it is a great underscoring of um, what our responsibility towards the call should be, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's for us to listen and God does the calling and, and the calling is simply to listen indeed, right? It's, it's just, yeah, that's all that Samuel does in the beginning. He just repeats what he's heard. It's like, God, I'm listening. Just speak. Yeah. You know? And it's in the listening that every action proceeds, right? Mm -hmm. if every, every other call or agency or response comes from first listening. And, and so the invitation to be quiet and the invitation to accept God's call and God to keep speaking is like, it's like so profound. And I truly hope like you have, you have encouraged us, all of us preachers and 
professors of the Bible would en encourage ourselves and people around us to to listen for God's yeah. voice, to to listen for God's voice in them, listen for God's voice in the world, um, so that uh, other invitations that God is sending us to be and do in the world can flow from that. You know, amazing. Yes, thanks, yes. thanks so much, Rosie. This <laughs> is my pleasure. Amazing, and I, I'm. Truly um, hopeful that a lot of us here found um, some great insights and thoughts um, from your discussion and your work on the text today on First Time, you all. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, I did as well. I truly did. Let's call it a wrap here, friends. And remember that you can find about any episode on any passage in a lectionary just by using our search box on our website firstreadingpodcast.com let us know what was helpful uh, drop us an email or a Facebook message uh, we would love to hear from you First Reading is produced by me Rosie Kandato Tim McNinch and Richard Wynn until next time my name is Paul Essa and I'm Rosie Kandato thanks for listening and happy preaching <laughs>